Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. It's flu season again, so that means it's time to talk about everyone's favorite cannon fodder, the flu shot. But hey, we're also still waist deep in the COVID pandemic, so it's a perfect opportunity to address these topics side by side. Want to stay influenza and COVID free this fall and winter? Keep listening and Dr. Shah Jahan and I will arm you with all the information you need. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin and my goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Today's conversation is all about the influenza vaccine and this is ground we've certainly covered before on the podcast, but this year is anything but ordinary, so it never hurts to cover the basics. And of course, we'll be weaving in uh, some information as it pertains to COVID commingling with the flu this year. Dr. Asha Shahjahan and I will be joining forces to cover this important topic. We will definitely hit on the high notes, such as why it's important to get the flu shot this year more than ever, when is the right time to get vaccinated, what are the potential implications of a flu vaccine and a COVID vaccine once one is available? Lots and lots to cover. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Asha, it's good to be with you. I know, finally. I feel like I, I haven't seen you through the entire pandemic, even though we were at, at the same hospital. <laughs> I was saying, nobody's seen me. I've been hiding. Maybe it was just the mask. I was like, is that me? I'm not, I'm not sure. So I, I have to take this opportunity to really um, applaud Asha. So while... In the, in the throes of March and April, when, when Metro Detroit was getting absolutely clobbered with COVID and people were running away from hospitals, and, and appropriately so in many cases, Asha was really on the other side of that. She was one of the few physicians that was really running into the hospital to help. So I have to thank you for that and for all the hard work you did back in March and April. And I know you've just been busy as hell during this whole time. So Not as busy as you, my friend, well, you know. <laughs> being the, the head of infectious disease for any health system at any uh, any time in, in this t- during this time is is a full-time 24-7 job. So thank you for everything you've done of and course. the guidance that you've given so many people, not only within our health system, but just around in general. So I appreciate that. Thank uh, you. We are both rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what we're trying to say. So Asha, lots to cover. Um, I kind of teased the, the basic stuff we want to talk about. Um, so we'll start there. I, I guess for starters, let me talk just for a moment about this year's flu vaccine because it's available. Uh, matter of fact, I, I administered my first few doses in my clinic just this past week, and I know that it's available in a lot of the retail pharmacies and doctor's offices right now. But I want to talk a little bit about how this year's flu vaccine is slightly tweaked to be a better match. So last year's flu shot was a little bit of a disappointment. We were talking sort of in the break uh, uh, before the podcast that I think it was only about 40% effective, and they usually don't have that data until after the flu season is completed, but 40% is not an amazing number. Right. But, but historically speaking, it's not far from where flu shots typically land. We typically think that a, you know, a relatively poor match is in the 30 to 40% range, a relatively good match is in the 50 to 60% range. So this was definitely on the lower end. That being said, the 2020 vaccine, the new vaccine for this flu season is going to be very similar to last year's flu shot with a few kind of key differences, and I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but they've they've taken the same strains, the H1N1 and the H3N2 strains, which are the strains of the flu that are most commonly circulating around the world, and they've actually 
um, tried to find a better match for those two strains. So the, so the new flu shot this year is containing the same strains, but they are slightly tweaked to hopefully give people a better match. A lot of the pushback I get from my clinic patients is that, well, if it's only 40% effective or maybe more or less, like why should I get it? And what I say back to them is that, do you want to be 0% protected or would you rather be 40% protected? Um, right. You know, it's kind of a gamble. Like how do you want to be protected from the flu? So um, it's it's good to know that this year's is better, you think, yes. um, than last year's because we definitely need it. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a great point because I get the same question. God, oh, the flu shot, dang, I'm not going to get that stupid flu shot because it doesn't work anyway. It's only 30, 40% effective. Well, the reality is when you crunch these numbers, and I am not a mathematician, I, I don't do this math, but I rely on the scientific minds that do, even at 40% match, you're still preventing thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of illnesses, which translates to fewer hospitalizations, fewer potential deaths, fewer missed days of work. I mean, they're, even at 40%, there's still a demonstrable objective benefit to getting the flu vaccine. And that's really the point that I try to sell to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think what's interesting is this year, so as as you have, we started giving the flu shots last, or yeah, beginning of this week. Yeah, beginning of this week. and yeah, like, um, like mid-September typically is when we get it available, yeah. Yeah, and many of my patients are sort of hesitant. Um, and I think the hesitancy is around the fact of, okay, it's COVID-19, we're all wearing masks, we're social distancing. Um, I rarely go anywhere. Is it really necessary mm -hmm. for me to get a flu shot? Um, and I'm getting this more from the general public than the people that normally get it. So my asthma patients, my patients that have COPD or um, elderly patients, they always come saying, I want my flu shot. I'm here for my flu shot. This is more of that um, middle-aged, um, you know, 20 to 50, 60-year-old people. Do I really need a flu shot? You know, again, my response is in, during this particular season, I would say yes. Do you agree? 100%. We need to be totally amps to 11 on this thing. I mean, we don't know what this year is going to look like. There is some some clear novelty to this season that's that's going to be unprecedented for all of us. We don't know what um, respiratory virus season is going to look like in, in COVID times. We haven't lived through a winter of COVID plus influenza. Now, we have the experience of other countries uh, places like Australia, they're typically the canary in the coal mine for mm -hmm. our flu season. And we know that Australia this year, uh, their flu season runs from around April through October. So they're kind of on the tail end of their flu season. They've actually had a pretty good flu season, good meaning mild, not a lot of flu illnesses. And it's directly attributable to two things. One, all these different mitigation strategies that we put in place for COVID. So the masking, the social distancing, hand the hand washing. Hot, yep, all that stuff is absolutely working. And they saw a significant increase in their flu vaccine uptake. So credit to their public health officials, credit to the WHO. They really hammered the message and the, the people of Australia really took to it. They saw an increase in the number of doses, I think a 50% increase in, in vaccine uptake. So I think it's fair to say that both of those things in tandem have really squashed their flu experience. I'm really hoping that America can have 
a very similar experience to Australia. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that we need to let people know is that um, it's not only about protecting yourself with the flu shot, it is protecting other people as well. So I tell people who say, you know, I don't really leave my house. I said, well, do you pick up groceries for your elderly parent? Uh, Yes, I do. Well, then it's probably a good idea for you to get the flu shot. Do you have young children? And now we know that schools are back, some are in hybrid mode, some are back full time, some Mm -hmm. are distance. But either way, it's still it's still a way of protecting yourself from getting the flu. And I think the thing is, and also other people getting it. But I think the thing is that's interesting is the fact that they both present the same way, meaning flu and COVID-19. And it's going to be confusing in terms of, okay, I have a fever, I have a runny nose. Is it the flu or is it COVID-19? And it's like if you had a flu shot and you take all the precautions against the flu, you're putting yourself in a better situation to avoid having those types of symptoms. Agree. The other thing that I hear a lot in my office is the fact that I don't want to get the flu shot because the typical complaint is... It makes me sick. Right. Right. It makes me sick. Um, But what was interesting to me is that people were telling me more about GI symptoms that they were having. I'm having diarrhea or um, I just don't feel well. And I said, well, the flu vaccine is really against the respiratory flu. Mm -hmm. And it's not this GI flu that people use the same term for. Um, and also, generally, if you get symptoms the day that you had the flu, the flu is only in, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but it's just one strain of the flu. And it's um, if you get the regular vaccine, it's not live. It's inactivated. That's correct. And so what your body is doing is just mounting an immune response. So you might have a little bit of body aches. You might have a mild, very general, small temperature mm-hmm. um, that might last a day or two, and then you're good to go. Um, but people attribute that to, I'm going to get sick, or I got so sick. Um, but it usually takes about two weeks before you are fully having the antibodies to protect you against the flu. So for people that get sick between that two-week period, would you say that they were already infected? Or what do you think? I look at this, so the point you just made is perfect. I think that people do, some, not all people, do tend to get a mild immune reaction to the vaccine. I think that that's normal. I think that, like as you pointed out, it's just your body ramping up to fight the, the virus. You're developing antibodies. You're developing an immune response. That's part of what people feel. And for some people, that can be robust and it can be uncomfortable. But it usually is self-limited. You take some Tylenol, some Motrin, you're done. On the other hand, you look at the experience that people have when they go to get their flu vaccine. They're typically going to the doctor in October, November. They're waiting in the waiting room. They're sitting around with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a dozen sniffling adults and children. Right. And and then what do you know? They get sick a week after they get their flu shot. It's probably just a coincidence. It's probably just that you happen to go to the physician's office in the middle of cold and flu season, and you probably picked something up along the way. That's it's probably just a coincidence. I guess that's the best explanation I can give for that. Or something was already brewing at the time. So that's a good point that you made because I do have, so I do um, a live clinic and also video visits. Mm-hmm. So on my video visits, patients are asking, okay, I don't want to come into your doctor's office to get this flu shot because I'm afraid that I'm going to be exposed to more germs or be exposed to COVID-19. And, you know, I reassure them that things are different now. We don't have people waiting in the waiting room. Um, There's no walk-ins. Everything is scheduled and by appointment. There's screening tools when you walk in, such as, you know, checking your temperature beforehand. We're sanitizing much better than we were before. And so that it's relatively safe to come to the doctor's office to get your flu shot. But that being said, I also think that if you're really uncomfortable coming to a doctor's office, you can always go to your local pharmacy Mm -hmm. um, or drugstore. Absolutely. 
So I think that's another thing is that people are scared of, okay, maybe I do need a flu shot, but how do I go about getting it uh, without increasing my risk? And you said it. I think you've got to do everything that you should be doing anyway when you venture out into public. You should be wearing a mask. You should be social distancing, washing your hands, um, not presenting to places unnecessarily if you yourself are having symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, I think, going to be the, the keys to success uh, this year. And I think, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think this year, probably more than any other year in my lifetime or anyone's lifetime, is going to be critical for people to make sure they get vaccinated. Right. I got, I'm going to get my flu shot. My, both of my parents have gotten their flu shots. I'm recommending it to all of my family and friends. Um, the one thing I also wanted to bring up is there's been a lot of discussion about masks um, and social distancing, but mostly masks, because if you're in the presence of someone and like you and I are here, but you are far apart from me, about six Yeah, feet. we're in the socially distanced podcast uh, studio here. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Um, and then the thing is with the mask is that it's preventing the respiratory droplets from traveling right. um, or diminishing them. And I think people um, forget that the flu is a respiratory virus and it is also spread through respiratory droplets. And yes, you know, there's that the theory of it can live in the air, it can live on surfaces for a certain amount of time. But the mask wearing does prevent um, or diminishes the amount of transmissibility of the flu, as does COVID-19. But imagine all of us talking about the fact that we can't wait for, not all of them, most can't wait for a COVID-19 vaccine to come out, right? right? We have a flu vaccine that's out. That's right. So why are people not running to, to get it? Get it. I just don't understand because it's like, do you want to wear a mask all the time? You don't. That's why we want the COVID-19 vaccine. Likewise, there's a flu vaccine available, and that can really prevent you from getting the flu. So I don't know. It's confusing to me. I've used this example before in different venues, but you know, healthcare is very personal. But this is a time when we have to think about healthcare in, in a more broad view, and we have to think about things in a more public-facing view. And, and COVID has really shined a light on that. The mask is a perfect example. The mask is for... When I wear a mask, I'm wearing it not just for me. I'm wearing it for you. I'm wearing mm-hmm. it to protect myself from spreading germs to you. And when you wear a mask, you're, it's protecting you to some degree, but it's also protecting me in the room. So it, it is a, a public health intervention. A flu vaccine is also a public health intervention. People love to do their own risk assessments, right. and I applaud that. I think that's a, that's a great way that you know, whenever you consider anything, you have to think about risks and benefits. But when you're thinking about the flu shot, everybody's got a grandmother or an elderly parent or young children. And for you, the 35-year-old, 40-year-old, healthy adult male or female, you're probably not going to die from the flu. I will say that. However, we all know someone who's potentially more susceptible, who's more vulnerable. And those are the people that we really need to think, be thinking about in a time like this. Absolutely. About children. So a lot of children maybe have not gotten the flu shot in their lifetime. And uh, maybe their parents are thinking that this is the time to to give their child a flu shot for the very first time, and they're nervous about it. So can you talk a little bit about how if you're below eight years old, you might potentially need to have two doses of the flu, uh, flu shot. And then if you're older than nine, it's just the one dose. So why is it that the kids have to get the two doses? Well, so first of all, I want to punctuate this by saying that the flu shot is really recommended for everyone this year. And it has been now for several years. We recommend for anyone over six months of age, all the way into adulthood and into infinity, the flu shot is, is the thing to do. For, for young children, for the pediatric population, 
especially during the first time that the flu shot is given, we do recommend two doses. And the idea is that you're sort of priming the immune system. You're giving one dose, and then you're giving a second dose shortly after that to sort of get the full effect of the influenza vaccine. So it's only the very first time they get it, because after that, they can just get the one. That's right. Okay, that's great. Uh, Another question that I've been getting is, what do I do if I think I have the flu? Because a lot of doctor's offices are not seeing patients right. with respiratory symptoms. Some urgent cares are, some aren't. Do you automatically have to be tested for COVID and the flu? Um, you know, what, what are the advice that you would give people? This is a really good question. And I think we need to spend a little bit of time on this because it, it's going to touch on multiple other topics. So for starters, that's going to be the big challenge for us as healthcare providers this year is trying to differentiate the flu, from COVID, from a common cold, from some other respiratory virus. And you're not going to be able to make that distinction on symptoms alone because the symptoms of the flu and the symptoms of COVID are extremely similar to one another. For starters, they're both, we know, contagious respiratory viruses. They, they cause respiratory illnesses. The presentation can be extremely similar between the two. Typically, we're talking fevers, chills. Headaches, shortness of breath, yep, myalgias, yep. like body aches, cough, all those upper respiratory funds and symptoms. And it can range uh, you know, from having a virtually asymptomatic uh, presentation, meaning no symptoms whatsoever, to fulminant, um, you know, you're in the hospital, you're on a ventilator, and that goes for flu and for COVID. People forget that you know, the flu still causes an extraordinary number of deaths every year. So that in those ways, the two are very similar. A couple highlighting uh, differences to highlight here. For starters, influenza does seem to be more impactful on young children, more so than COVID. That's not to say that COVID doesn't cause disease in children. We know that it does. We know about uh, multi-system inflammatory syndrome, MISC. Um, but influenza historically and generally does tend to affect young children more than, than COVID does. Um, it's the, the young children and the elderly, where I think COVID-19 yep. is more so um, elderly and immunocompromised, and flu is also immunocompromised. Yep. Per- uh, well said. Both, both viruses tend to target high-risk folks, meaning people with chronic medical conditions, chronic respiratory illnesses. The flu tends to hit the very young and the very old more hard than COVID does. The incubation period of these two viruses is a little different. So the incubation period for the flu is a little shorter than COVID. You're going to hear that magic number 14 days. Uh, that's the COVID number. The, the magic number for the flu is probably more like seven days. Yeah, probably three to a, seven days. Probably yeah. a, a slightly mm-hmm. shorter incubation period. Um, we tend to f- believe now, granted, it's still a novel pathogen and we're still learning, but we believe that COVID is more contagious than influenza. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the need for more masking now. We, we never really recommended masks in the past for the flu. It's now really a, more of a COVID thing, but it will be beneficial for the flu. Now, here's the thing. With COVID-19, there there seems to be a lot more issues with um, blood clots, um, people having strokes and heart attacks, um, way more so. I I mean, I don't think I've ever heard that with the flu. No. The the major post-flu complications that we would think about uh, would be, you know, you could have sort of a... um, reactive airway disease, almost like an asthma-like syndrome that could sometimes linger. You could have sort of a, a post-infectious cough that could linger for several weeks or even you know months after getting influenza. Or develop a pneumonia or something. Yep, yeah. or a post-infectious pneumonia, a bacterial pneumonia that's sort of the idea being that your immune system is weakened and you are sort of ripe for the picking for some bacteria to come along and set up shop, and we see a lot of that. 
in hospitals as well. So excellent point there. The, the, the major complications like the blood clots are things we're seeing more so with COVID. So if you really want to know the difference of whether you have the flu or COVID, if you, if you have a cough and a sore throat and a runny nose, really you do have to get tested. Now here's the rub. The rub is that we don't really have a unlimited amount of testing available to us. You've, if you've watched the news or if you've you know been reading the newspapers, you probably are aware of this fact that even now, several months into the pandemic, we are still struggling to have enough testing capacity to meet the demand in the public. But that being said, I think a lot of healthcare systems are getting better at this. Now we're starting to develop combo tests. Mm -hmm. So if you do get sick, you go to the hospital, you go to the urgent care or the doctor's office, they can do one swab and it will tell you if it's flu, if it's COVID, if it's something else. I think that's going to be huge, especially as we move into the winter months when both of these viruses are going to be circulating. Um, The other thing I think that's important to highlight is what our treatment options are. So for the flu, Clearly, we have a, a, a flu vaccine. We've had one for years and years, and, and we've had much more readily available treatment options for the flu as well. Now, we could debate whether we think that they're really value-added. The science doesn't seem to say that you know the flu treatments like um, oseltamivir are really all that great. They may shorten your duration of symptoms by a day or so, but you got to take it early. Treatments for COVID are are much more difficult to come by, much more investigational at this point, Mm -hmm. showing some promise to be sure, but but not anything that's widely available, nothing you could just pop into your local pharmacy and get a treatment for. It's mostly just supportive care. Exactly. Right. And both of them are really supportive care, uh, which is, you know, just hydrating, um, taking rest and taking your Tylenol or Motrin for your antipyretic or for your uh, fever reducer. Um, and the, the good old chicken noodle soup. Absolutely. Uh, what are your thoughts on the saliva test for COVID-19? Because um, it's probably a lot easier for, for younger kids and, and things to do that rather than having the, you know, the nasal swab up the nose. Yeah, I think I, I want to see a little bit more um, um, validation of some of these uh, different kinds of tests. As of right now, the gold standard really is still the nasal um, PCR test. That's the one that we're using the most often. I'd say the second most utilized at this point is the antigen test. Mm-hmm. But the CDC will tell you that the antigen test is really only supposed to be used for people who are symptomatic. It's really not intended for testing asymptomatic people or close contacts. Um, that re- that recommendation may change, so I want to make sure to kind of timestamp this. And then the next in line is the saliva test. Now, the saliva test, if and when we we have this capability, I think that that will prove to be an excellent test to have because the, it, it promises to be fast right. and cheap, convenient, point of care. I mean, you could literally do a saliva test as you're like walking into a baseball game. You know, just spit into a cup go wait over here for 10 minutes, we'll give you a result, and then you're good to go. I think having that capability will be awesome when we have it. I just don't think that we're quite there yet, so stay tuned. uh, Yeah, I think the University of Illinois is piloting that right now for their students. So, I mean, again, you're thinking about reopening schools and and reopening businesses. It would be fantastic. Right. That will be great for congregate settings, for mass testing. If you want to test an entire nursing home or if you want to test an entire college dorm, I think that's going to be where it's at. Whereas if you want to do, you know, if you have symptoms and you're sick, and you want to get tested, I think still, as of this moment, the gold standard is to get the, you know, the fun up the nose swab. 
And so let's pretend that your family member has a headache and a runny nose and it's been two days. Um, They end up going to get tested at a place where it takes three or four days to get the results. Should you quarantine at that point? Well, at that point, you're exposed, right? So if this is a close contact, if it's a, a someone who lives in the same house as you, your spouse, your, 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 your son or daughter, I think that it's fair to say that you've been exposed and yes, you should quarantine. Now, the, the big question, the, the $65 question is, should I get tested? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that I get probably a dozen times a day. And I'll give you my stock answer free of charge. My recommendation is I don't want people to run out and get tested if they go to a barbecue and they find out the next day that somebody at that barbecue had COVID, and now they're calling me and they're asking where can they get tested. Here's the problem. The problem is you could go run out and get tested, but that test could be negative. In fact, most likely it probably will be negative. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that your risk is zero. It means that probably the virus just hasn't had enough time to, to, to uh, incubate and reach that critical threshold where that test is going to be positive. That could take a few more days. That could take a week. It could take up to two weeks, as we know. So what I encourage people to do is, once you've been exposed, you should you know, hunker down, you know, make sure that Netflix subscription is live, you know, just stay home and self-quarantine for 14 days. Now, some healthcare systems are recommending that at about five to seven days, people can go out and get tested. Mm-hmm. Fine. I don't have a problem with that. If, as long as testing is available, as long as it's available in your community, I don't have a problem with that. But I don't think that people should use testing as a quote unquote, get out of jail free card, meaning I got exposed three days ago. I went out and got tested. It's negative. Ergo, I can go back to work. No, that's not true. Right. Or I can fly in an airplane and go on vacation. And this is important because I want to really challenge this notion of presenteeism. So we we haven't talked about this a lot. I talked about this a little bit in, in a podcast that I did with Dr. Matthew, this notion of presenteeism, which America is famous for, right? This is our you know, our, our American work ethic. Everybody wants to go to work. Oh, you got a little runny nose, shake it off, go to work. Right. I think this year, probably more than any other year that we've ever faced, we have to be good stewards of our bodies and we have to stay home if we're sick. Right. So, and be understanding of people that say absolutely. that they're sick. I have that a lot in my office where patients come and say, I need a note because people don't believe that I'm sick. They think I'm trying to get out of work. And it's like, we really need to change that culture, especially in the middle of a pandemic. You know, if someone says that they're, most people, like you said, want to go to work. They want to get out of their house. They're right. tired of being isolated. So if they're saying that they have symptoms or they're exposed, most likely they are. We wear it like a badge of honor. We say, oh, yeah, I had, uh, you know, I felt like crap for the last few days, but I powered through it and I went to work anyway. I mean, it's really, we have to rewrite that part of our DNA. I think, you know, maybe some years down the road when we've got our arms around this thing and everything's kind of, quote unquote, back to normal, we can revisit some of these ideas. But I think right now, presenteeism is not a strength. Absolutely. I think it's not only uh, something that we need to apply to adults in the workforce, but I think that we need to apply that same logic to our children, our young people, our young adults who are college age and, and, uh, and, and make sure that really they're following the same advice that we're giving everyone else. We really don't want you to go into a public space if you're having symptoms parents, I know it's a pain if you have to keep your kid home from school, you have to arrange for daycare, or you have to yourself stay home. 
but really, truly, it is the right thing to do this year more than any other year to help mitigate the spread of these respiratory viruses and really to not overwhelm our healthcare system. Let me segue now into some other common questions that we get. One is, when is the best time to get a flu vaccine? So I think it's fair to say if you're listening to this podcast right now, it is time for you to get your flu vaccine if you haven't already done so. Now, I will you know, use my own experience. I typically get the flu vaccine in around October, November. I will probably get my flu vaccine a little bit earlier this year, and let me explain why. So for starters, we know that we're going to have this twindemic this year. There's going to be flu, and there's going to be COVID, and they're going to be living in the same house. Um, so we want to do everything we can to get our, our flu vaccine early. We also want to make sure that we sort of get the most coverage for the flu season, and hence the idea of getting your flu shot now where you're going to get approximately six months of good flu coverage, that should take you all the way through the end of the flu season, which is typically in, you know, like April, maybe early May. So, so yeah, getting your flu shot in, you know, say now, between now and mid-November is probably the perfect sweet spot to get your flu shot. So here's a question. Um, so some patients have been getting their flu shot really early, like in the beginning of August. And so there's a concern now that, hey, I, what if I'm not um, protected all the way through? So was it going to wear off in February? And if so, do I have to get another one? No, I think it, you know better to get a flu shot than no flu shot at all. I would rather someone get their flu shot in August or, or, or for that matter, in January than not get any flu shot at all. You'd rather have some protection than no protection. The risk is that you could be... You know, it's theoretical, but you could be less protected at the end of the flu season if you get your flu shot too early. That's really all it is. So if you're trying to make a plan for you and your family in terms of getting the flu shot and you haven't had it yet, this is about the time where you should consider getting it, mid-September, first week of October or so, and that should probably protect you all the way through. Agree. Now, let's talk, let's talk about having a plan. So I think that this is an important message to get out into the community. Have a plan. You know, know where you're going to go to get your flu shot. You know, know, um, know what you're asking for. So you as a primary care physician, you know, what is your expectation for, for patients as they're presenting to get their flu shots? Yeah, so I think it's also just knowing knowing the person as well. So if you have asthma or you have COPD or you have other risk factors, uh, chronic disease, you should absolutely get your flu shot. And most of my patients are accustomed to that. Also, if you're elderly over the age of 65, um, very important to get the flu shot. Now, for everybody else, this year we're recommending to just go and do it. Get the flu shot. It's just a tiny little needle. <laughs> it's not It's not as scary as it seems. And most people, after they get it, they're like, oh, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, there are people that have concerns of having allergies, per se, to eggs and say, hey, I have an allergy to eggs, I can't get the flu shot. Or I did get the flu shot and I had a really bad reaction with a rash and so I can't get the flu shot. Um, there is a website called vaccinefinder.com and it lists actually sites in your area by your zip code of where you can um, get different types of flu shots. So if uh, you want to get egg-free or preservative-free, um, you can talk to your doctor about what type of flu shot that you should be getting. Yep. And also there's different types. If you're older, there's like a, the quadrivalent kind of high-dose flu shot for, the, uh, for elderly people. Um, so just talk to your doctor about the type of flu shot you need to get. Maybe shoot him a message real quick if you're not sure. Uh, if you get the traditional one, like I said, you can decide to go to the drugstore or um, get it at your doctor's office. But get the whole family done at one time, you know. I agree. The egg th- uh, allergy thing is important. And, and um, uh, what I always hover on when, it, when we talk about eggs and vaccines is um, the general rule of thumb is that if you can eat a cooked egg, you can tolerate a flu shot. So, you know, if you can eat 
you know, cake or muffins or something that are, that's made with eggs, then, you know, theoretically you should be able to tolerate a flu shot as well. That being said, if you can't, definitely talk to your doctor about finding an alternative vaccine. Right. And then the other thing is, too, a lot of people might get reactions and the reactions happen almost immediately um, or within an, an hour or so. And so uh, many of my colleagues, if we have patients that maybe get a rash, uh, we'll just give them a little bit of Benadryl and the rash goes away. And it's, it's not something that they're going to continue having rashes for the rest of the week. It's just like a, a small reaction. So I think, again, talk to your doctor about your risks if you've had the flu shot before. And if you've had an adverse reaction, what was that adverse reaction? Um, and then you might realize that you you can get a flu shot. Yep. And I also wanted to bring up pregnant patients as well. Um, a lot of people, you know, it's a pandemic time. People are getting pregnant. <laughs> and, right. Great um, point. It's important to get a flu shot. And then also, you know, if your spouse or your uh, partner is pregnant um, or your family member, if you're, you know, a grandparent, whatever, um, you should also be vaccinated to protect that pregnant patient and their baby. Excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. I think we covered a lot, Nick. What do you think? Is there anything else you think you want to add? I think I'm just going to go back to what I've said probably a dozen times already. I think this is the year, if there was ever a year to get your flu shot, this is the year to get your flu shot. If there was ever a year to take care of your health and and really think more about health in a in a public mindset more so than a personal mindset, this is the year to do it. Yeah, this is the year, 2020, the year of compassion for others. <laughs> exactly. That's about all the information we have time for today. I want to thank my friend and co-host, Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Asha, thank you for your time. Thanks, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Likewise. I want to remind our listeners that all of this and more can be found at beaumont.org safe. And we also have a great resource for all things COVID at beaumont.org coronavirus. We will continue to push out content that's relevant to these topics, including COVID, as the season progresses, so stay tuned. And please send us your ideas. If you have ideas for content as it relates to COVID or other healthcare topics that you want to hear about, please send along those ideas. Uh, you can send them to our email address, which is podcast at beaumont.org. I will leave you today with this healthy thought. With the concern that COVID is not going away anytime soon and the potential for multiple contagious respiratory illnesses circulating throughout the community this fall and winter, we should all be doing our part to stop the spread of influenza and COVID-19. That means get your flu shot, wear a mask, social distance when you're in public, practice good hand hygiene, stay home when you're sick, and if you do develop symptoms, be sure to get tested and know where to get tested. Thank you. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.